everyone. Before we get started, we wanted to let you know about our venue consulting. We have broken up our offerings into four distinct needs, design, sales and client experience, marketing, and those all-important SOPs. You can take advantage of one or all of these tricky spots for your venue. If you want to learn more and get a few more details, head on over to hustleandgather.com to see how we can work together and reach your venue goals. All right, let's get to today's show. I reached out to every triangle business with the diversity and inclusion program. Not a single one responded to me. I started thinking about it. I was like, with my education, my experience, and my privilege, if I can't find a job, what are other people who are blind in the face? Welcome, everyone, to Hustle and Gather, a podcast about inspiring the everyday entrepreneur to take the leap. I'm Dana. And I'm Courtney. And we are two sisters who love business. On this show, we talk about the ups and downs of the hustle and the reward at the end of the journey. And we know all the challenges that come with starting a business between operating our wedding venue, doing speaking and consulting, and starting our luxury wedding planning company. We wake up and hustle every day. But we love what we do. And today we're talking with John Samuel, founder and CEO of Abler. Abler is a digital accessibility and inclusion company that was founded on the key principle that all digital content, including websites, videos, applications, are accessible for everyone, no exception. John, welcome to Hustle and Gather. Well, thank you. I'm excited to be here. So, you know, it's odd. My husband's name is Samuel John. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I didn't even like connect it until I read it out loud. I was like, oh, that's because I call him Samuel John all the time. But Oh, that's so funny. And and then, you know, these these first names, right? I have three first. My name is John George Samuel. So I got three first names in there. That is three first names. Three first names. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Can't trust that. That is Right. Yeah, you say my trust true. What alias is going by today? Right. All right. Well, we're so excited to have you. Um, You know, you have such uh, an incredible and inspiring story. And so um, why don't you talk a little bit about your background and tell us how you, uh, how Abler began? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a loaded question. I, uh, I'm originally born and raised in Cary, North Carolina. And uh, there's not many people who are actually from Cary, but, uh, you know, it's I, accurate. you know, so I actually, my, my, my family immigrated from India in 1969 uh, to the U.S. And when I was in high school, I started noticing changes in my sight, but I just <laughs> didn't know what it was. I just thought maybe I'm a bad driver or maybe I was just partying too much. And, and so when I got to college, I was up in school in Richmond, Virginia, and I was at Virginia Commonwealth University. And that's when I was just walking into way too many things. And my shins were always just cut up and bruised. And, and I, I knew something was off. And so I went and saw a specialist. And I was diagnosed with a degenerating eye condition called retinitis wow. pigmentosa. And I was told I was going blind. And so yeah. as an 18, 19-year-old kid, it was just devastating. And, um, mm-hmm. and uh, my actions led to me failing out of college. And so I ended up... Uh, I was embarrassed and ashamed to tell people that I had failed out of college and that I was going blind. So I ended up coming back home to, to Raleigh and moving out with my high school buddies. I knew I had to get out of North Carolina because I, once I graduated, I was like, I got to get out because I was still driving. But I was like this uh, reverse vampire. I could, uh, mm. you'd, you'd see me out during the daytime, but when, once it got dusk, I had to be off the road because it just wasn't safe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in North Carolina, there was no public transportation. So once I, I, once I finished, I was like, I got to get out of here. And I ended up moving out to um, Bangalore, India. And I had visited Bangalore, India, because my dad was the head of Nortel there for a few years, and I had seen it. And, uh, and I knew I could get a car and driver for pretty cheap. So I moved out there. 
and uh, the challenges I faced of being a Indian American kid in India was it was just it was so difficult. It was uh, this discrimination. Just it was struggling with tongue lashing, just yelling at in the offices. Mm. I was like, this isn't the place for me. And after two mm. years, I moved back home and moved to New York City. So uh, New York City was uh, a place where I just started to, you know, I started working for the city of New York. But again, this is where I had to learn how to navigate this, navigate without being able to see and not being able yeah. to tell people. But uh, uh, this is the first time I started to realize that the issues I was facing using computers and doing my work were actually accessibility issues. And mm-hmm. I started to, I found this little Microsoft magnifying mouse, which allowed me to do my job, just like my car and driver in India. And so I actually, uh, uh, when I started looking at my friends in, in New York, they were moving up in their law firms, they were joining hedge funds, and I just just didn't have that same type of career trajectory, and um, I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So my first entrepreneurial efforts actually started right after that, because I, I heard from this guy I worked with in India, and he was on the board of directors of a cell phone tower manufacturing company. And they wanted to start up a company in Cameroon, which is in West Central Africa. And so when I heard about this, I was like, send me out there. I'll go do this. And, uh, um, and so he, he took a chance on me. But one of the executives of this company found out that I couldn't see. They said, hey, we can't. They're not going to send me out there. And I convinced them. And uh, I moved out there you know, after convincing them. And they gave me $20,000. And uh, I started up a company there. And uh, from scratch, I had no idea about French. Like it was a French English speaking country. I had no idea how to speak French. I had, hadn't even, <laughs> even seen what a cell phone tower was, but all <laughs> I knew was I knew I wanted to be successful and I had no other place to go. And I didn't see any other future for myself. And uh, that $20,000 investment uh, turned into $12 million in 14 months and uh, 2.4 million in profits. That's so, crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, after three years, I had spread that company across Africa. And so by the time I left, we had sales operations in 22 countries and came back home to the U.S. And, uh, and uh, I know this is all a long story about how I got to Abler, but it's all kind of pieces to it because yeah. mm-hmm. he was that experience of building a company, being able to know I could do this. But I was still not talking about my vision loss. I had figured out how to fake it being blind. I used my feet. I used my other senses to get around. But when I got to, I moved back to the U.S. to do my MBA and I moved to D.C., and when I was in my first week of orientation, that's when I, I was at this event where they had these name cards and I couldn't see where I was supposed to go. So I turned to the person next to me. It happened to be the associate dean at the business school. And she's the one who recruited me to come out there. And uh, she had no idea I couldn't see. And so she, she actually had a child with special needs and could empathize with what I was going through. And she encouraged me to be open about my vision loss. And, mm-hmm. and so I started talking. She's like, talk to your classmates about it. So I did. And uh, I often say that was the first time I could be my my authentic self. And I was able to open up my heart and I met my wife uh, in the program. These are things that I never thought possible to have a successful business in Africa. Now to have, be able to find someone I could open up and just be truthful about my vision loss with. And, um, but then when I started looking for jobs after my MBA, I couldn't find anything. And um, I started, you know, it was because I wasn't open about my vision loss with, uh, with companies. Interviews like this, you know, they went great. But it was <laughs> when uh, I met them in person. I just didn't know how to advocate for myself. And that's when I heard about this software that was developed at this company called SAS and Gary, you know, the data science mm-hmm. company. And it was designed to help people who are blind and low vision 
visualize graphs and charts using sounds. Hmm. And I thought it was super cool. And yeah. But it was really, it was the coolest part about it was it was designed by this guy named Ed Summers. And he had the same eye condition as me and lived in Cary, North Carolina. Wow. And the same place I grew up, same place I never thought anyone blind could ever live. And uh, and so uh, I, I tried, I, up until that point, it was 17 years since I had been diagnosed. I had never met another blind person. And I tried for months to get in touch with him without any luck. And then finally, my wife said, if he can live in North Carolina, maybe we can too. And so we found uh, this house online and we told my folks and they got so excited. And my dad <laughs> immediately jumped in the car to go look at this house. And as he's driving, he's talking to us on the phone and he started yelling at something. And I was like, what are you doing, dad? He's like, oh, there's a blind guy on the road. Maybe it's a guy you're trying to get in touch with. <laughs> what? Dad, please don't yell blind people on the road. And he's like, all right, all right, gets out of the car and walks over to this poor guy and says, are you Ed Summers? And the guy says, uh, yes, I am. What? That's crazy. <laughs> and my dad just puts the phone in this poor guy's ear and says, my son's trying to reach you. And so after, after, um, apologizing to him, I, um, <laughs> after he agreed to meet me, I came down and a 30 minute conversation turned to three hours. And, uh, he introduced me to the president of a company called LCI, which is the largest employer of Americans who are blind and was located in RTP. And, uh, he wanted to start up a new business that was focused on creating upward mobility for people who are blind and technology services. And, uh, and that kind of eventually led to the formation of Abler. That's awesome. Yeah, that does. That's there's so many good things about it. Like I, I really, <laughs> I mean, I really love. I when you're when you were telling your story and you were talking about hiding your vision loss, I all I could think of is how how do you hide your vision loss? Well, not that, but like how isolating that has mm-hmm. to be. Like how lonely that has to feel that you can't you can't be your real self. You can't be your true self. And um, the fear of the judgment. And I um, really it really resonated a lot. Like. Because I think all of us do that as some parts of ourselves as we hold some things that like maybe too close to the chest or we don't share with other people. Yeah. Know? I mean, it's like that. It's, it, yeah. I was, I was always keeping close to my chest. It was that imposter syndrome because mm-hmm. I was always, yeah. you, I was always wearing a mask, right? There was this mask of somebody. Because when I looked at executives, this is what they looked like. This is how they acted. And so you you wondered how I, how I faked it. Often the case, if it was in the social settings, it was by drinking. Because it was easy to say, I can't drive because I've had too many to drink. Oh, mm-hmm. I bumped into this because I had a, you know, I had a drink. So it was easy to kind of hide it behind that. But when it came to the work piece, my team, like the teams, once I got hired, my team saw what I did and they would, uh, it was often an unspoken thing. Sometimes it was spoken, but we never, mm-hmm. it wasn't something we broadcasted. So like when we were in Africa, I'd go sit in the same, I'd eat at the same, if I had a business meeting, I'd go eat, I'd set the reservation at the same restaurant every time I'd sit in the same mm-hmm. seat. I'd order the same thing mm-hmm. and I'd get there early and I'd leave after. Are you totally blind or could you? Yeah. Can't... So it's interesting. So with retinitis pigmentosa, you start to lose your sight. Essentially you, you get tunnel vision. Mm-hmm. Well, mine was unique in the sense that I had this big donut. And so I had some sight on the outside of my okay. eyes and then my central vision kind of got blurry. And so I couldn't see what was in front of me, but there's like blind spots all around. Often, like when I walk through a bar or something, I go through the sides of my eyes and like mm-hmm. my friends say, get skinny. And that's how I go sideways. <laughs> and then I, I kind of look around with my side of my eyes. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so we had this whole way I shoulder up, I put my hands on my buddy's shoulders and that's how we navigated places. Mm-hmm. But then once I joined LCI, they are the largest employer of people who are blind and they are a nonprofit, but they make money. And that money that they make goes to organizations fighting blindness. And 
they actually funded the development of the Duke Eye Hospital. Mm-hmm. And so the, the Duke Eye Hospital is actually named after LCI's old CEO, uh, mm-hmm. Bill Hudson. And so because of that relationship, I ended up going there to do my annual checkups. And I last year, or two years ago, I went there and I met this doctor and he's a geneticist and a retina specialist. And his specialty was in the mutation that's going on in my eye. And in 20 years, there was, there was never, never any hope for me. And when he met me, he's like, I have hope for you and I have a wow. treatment for you. And so I started doing treatments. I go in, I get these injections every three, four months, in my eye, which is ridiculously painful. And, yeah. uh, and then, you know, after a year and a half of the treatments, he said, I think your eye is healthy enough. We can do cataract surgery, mm-hmm. but it's high risk, but there's a probability you can get some usable vision back. Right. And so this past January, I had this, um, this uh, cataract surgery. I remember I was in the bathroom. I was looking in the mirror and um, all of a sudden I could usually I just see a brown blob in the front of the mirror. And all of a sudden I could see my eyes and my face. Wow. I call for my wife and she's got these bright green emerald eyes and I could mm-hmm. see her eyes and then um, call for my sons. And, uh, and I was able to see their, their little noses, their little cheeks, their little lips. And, and that was the first time I could see their faces. Wow. So I just wow. got some sight back. Oh, that's amazing. That yeah. is so cool. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. And it's... congratulations. <laughs> I'm sure you. that was amazing seeing your kids' faces and I know. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, being able to see their faces is something that I, I feel like I've in my heart, I knew what they like. I Mm -hmm. knew what they look like to me. Now it's just pretty cool to be able to see like when we're in the in the pool during the summertime, the reflection off the water is like it has to be in the right lighting for me. And so Mm -hmm. that was like it was so cool to hear their laugh plus seeing their little cute little faces. That's part of the cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. What I love about your story is like your sense of adventure even in the face of that adversity. Like I feel like for me, I have so much anxiety and my world becomes smaller and yours only got bigger because of it. Yeah. yeah. So talk about that. Like how, like, how do you overcome that? What drove you? I think, you know, I went to um, you know, high school here in Raleigh called Enloe and my buddies were just like, I had a great group of friends, these Enloe guys. And we did all, you know, high school kids do. We partied, we had fun. And, but they were also focused on their careers. And, and it was interesting because it wasn't like something they like talked about their careers, but everyone became really successful. And it was almost like we knew everyone was going to be successful. And they were like, we're not going to let you down. You're not going to, we're not going to leave you behind. And it was kind of like keeping up with them. Mm-hmm. But it was like not trying to keep up with them in a competition, but it was just, that's what we were going to do. And so I think that my drive to keep on moving forward um, was, was that I just wanted to have that future that I thought I could, I was going to have before. And there was almost this race against time, right? I'm like, all right, I'm going to be losing my side. I better do this stuff. And so one of those adventures I did was, um, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. And so this is when I moved to Africa, I said, I got two goals for myself. One, I want to be a top 30 executive under 30 in Africa. And I want to reach the top, the highest peak in Africa. And so uh, when I did that, I went with one of my high school buddies and it was so interesting. The same ways that we navigated the bars, like I talked about shoulder up and get skinny, all of these things that we talked about, how they kept me inclusive of being able to hang out and do things. You know, we use that same communication and that's how we climbed the mountain. Mm-hmm. But it was that drive. It was just like doing things with my friends. I think it was just, I wanted to, I just wanted to be, I wanted to belong. Right. And I think that's what kind of kept me going. It was like, so if my buddy could do it. I want to do it with him. I want to, I want to belong. And, um, and I said, because I'm actually, um, 
I'm in the process of um, of writing a book right now, and the title is "Don't Ask a Blind Guy for Directions: <laughs> uh, A Thirty Thousand Mile Journey for uh, Love, Confidence, and a Sense of Belonging." And I think that that sense of belonging is really why Abler's about there. You know, we're trying to make mm-hmm. things more inclusive, and um, and I don't ever want people to go through the stuff that I went through, and that's why we're trying to remove barriers. But I think that's what was always driving me was just to fit in. And I think everyone can relate to that. Yeah. I love that. I, I, we have children and I have have a middle schooler. She also has a middle schooler. And I feel like that is like the constant conversation all the time is their, their need to find that group and to feel like they are seen and heard and that they're portraying who they want to be or whatever. And it starts so young. Like it starts at such a young age, that need to, to belong and to belong to something. And, um, I think that's amazing. I think it's amazing to think about changing the world or someone going through something similarly where they don't have to struggle the same way, you know, like, like it literally made your world bigger and not smaller. Yeah, exactly. Like right. Having that disability, yeah. which is like phenomenal. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is that I didn't think Carrie, North Carolina, the research triangle park, it wasn't somewhere I could belong. Right, because of mm-hmm. transportation, so I had to look bigger. I had to look outside. Yeah, yeah. and that's why yeah. I, you know talking about that thirty thousand mile journey around the world was to realize that I could be here. I just mm-hmm. had to figure out how to see my way through. If I didn't, um, you know, have to go through the visual loss and the sight loss, I don't think I'd ever leave. Right, mm-hmm. and would I have those same experiences? Yeah, that's so interesting. I was, I was listening to, and I'm going to botch this terribly, but it was a Paralympian. I don't remember who it was. And she lost her legs. Can't remember how she lost her legs, but she was a gold medalist Paralympian. And she talks about how when she lost her legs, it was literally the beginning of her life, right? Like she's run further, gone further, done more since she's lost her legs than she ever would have if she had kept them. Right. And it was just like, it's amazing, like inspiring story on just perspective, right? Like a lot of life is about perspective and what perspective are you going to have when you're kind of dealt whatever it is that you're going to be dealt in this life. And I just think it's super inspiring that you're able to look at this and I'm happier back in Gary and it's kind of gotten full circle for you. Like I can belong yeah. here, just like I can belong there, but just your ability to look elsewhere and go on adventures and journeys and not let that limit you, but really allow it to kind of teach you, you know, and grow you and shape who you are. But y'all are going through the same thing as entrepreneurs, right? I think all sure, of us yeah. as entrepreneurs, we go through that resiliency. It says it's those, it's the things that push us to the edge. And I think, you know, sometimes people talk about, oh, competition is a bad thing. I think competition is a good thing because that's what caused you to be innovative, right? Sure. So my my eyes, my loss of sight is what caused me to be more innovative, caused me to rethink different solutions to the same old problems. Y'all know this, right? You know how yeah. to, that resiliency and the hustle you talk about, everything you're talking about is, I think is the same thing. It's just a, a different context. Yeah. What do you, what do you think you would have told, tell your, if you could go back and tell your 18 year old self, like when you got that diagnosis, what would you, what would you say to him? Keep, keep messing up, keep screwing up, just do it. I mean, cause like <laughs> it was those failures, right? Cause I sometimes wonder, I'm like, oh, had I known, oh gosh, what would have happened? But I feel like it was the keep messing up, just keep doing what I'm doing, but just have faith, right? That's like, just have faith. Mm -hmm. Things things are going to be okay. And I think that, because I do, like, I think all the favors I had have really helped me get to appreciate the good stuff, right? And, uh, 
but I, that's why, you know, when I write my story, I share my story and all this stuff I do is that I want people who are going through challenges to realize that the resiliency, that build, that, that bounce back, that's what it's all about. Right. And so when we go through these challenging mm-hmm. points, it's like, that just means harder it is, this the higher we're going to bounce back. And, uh, and also to feel like you're not alone, right? We're all going through, everyone has their challenges. Right. Mine may have been sight and other people have other things, mm-hmm. right? Like the, but the one mm-hmm. thing I also like to talk about is the fact that I'm not a Paralympian. I'm just a, I'm just a screw up kid from Cary, North Carolina, who <laughs> just, you know, who just kept on, uh, you know, moving forward. And I think that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in um, DC, after I lost my job and, and before I met Ed Summers, I was in a really low point. And I was listening to a lot of podcasts and I wasn't leaving my house because I was scared at that point to walk around because I was bumping into things. I didn't want to get hurt. And I didn't want to hurt anyone now. Just like I couldn't drive now, I couldn't even walk outside. So I was listening to a lot of podcasts. And I was listening to this, listening to this podcast called uh, Guy Raz, How I Built This. And, and he had Chef Jose Andreas, which is a big restaurateur in DC area. And he was talking about luck can't find you unless you keep moving. And that, that it really kind of made sense to me. It's like, cause like, if you sit at home, you're never going to have that lucky break. And so that's when, you know, I started keep moving, became my mantra. So if I, I was going to tell, tell my 18 year olds, I was like, keep moving, keep doing stuff, mm-hmm. right. Going back to like, keep failing because something you're, you're going to get your break. And I think that's the key thing is that everyone needs to keep moving forward because it's easy to sit down, but you're not going to find luck or you're not going to find what you're looking for. Yeah. So tell us exactly what Abler does in like a non-tech way, oh, yeah, not sure. like the programming, <laughs> like whatever, but like in general, layman's term, what does it do for people? So I, I describe it as, you know, if you go to a building, you see a uh, wheelchair accessible ramp, we're essentially mm-hmm. doing that for the web. So we're making the wheelchair ramp for the internet and making sure that people who are blind and have other disabilities can access the internet and you, our phones and digital content by making sure that the code or the way that websites are written are written in a way that can be accessed by all people. And so we actually kind of the differentiator about what we do is that we actually use people with disabilities to go through and provide do testing of websites and uh, to make sure to highlight what are the issues and to work with the developers to make sure that they can resolve them. It's not just for blind people. It'd be like for like somebody who might be deaf as well. That's correct. So Oh, you know, right. Okay. So for, th- for instance, like going through a website, it's actually for all, all abilities. So, mm-hmm. you know, somebody, if you look at a video, someone who's deaf is not going to be able to, to hear the word. So there has to make sure right. you want to make sure closed captioning is there. So think about somebody who may have um, a cognitive disability. They may not be able to pay attention for too long. So we make sure that the, mm-hmm. that things are simply like, written in a way that is more accessible, can be read by and consumed by all people. And so, yeah. you know, there's different aspects of, of what we go through. There's around, there's guidelines with it. And if developers, web content developers really kind of followed all the right rules, there wouldn't be any issues, but because people take shortcuts, we need to go back and make sure that we, we, we correct those. And it's really about being an intentional about it. And so, but if you think about it, like if you make your websites more accessible, they're going to actually be better SEO, meaning search engine optimization. Right. Because for instance, like if you have a picture on your website, and you can just have the picture there and it may just, but when somebody who's blind, we, the way we go through, we listen to it. We listen to the software that reads to us everything on the screen. We go to that picture. It may just say JPEG one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. Mm-hmm. 
Right. If you actually add alternative text and describe the image, right? For your podcast to be two sisters sitting at a table having a glass of wine in front of a microphone. That gives me context, <laughs> right? Yeah. Of, of what that image is. And now when somebody looks up online, oh, sisters drinking wine in a pot, like in a microphone, you'll pop up, right? Otherwise, it's just a JPEG one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So it's it, what we realize is that accessibility will help all people. And the perfect example of accessibility helping people is um, you mentioned you had kids and did y'all used to have strollers? Did you take your kids out on strollers a lot? Yeah. Yes. Do you remember the curb cuts that are, right? <laughs> yeah. That's a perfect example, curb cuts. So if you went to a place where there was no curb cuts, you'd have to like lift up the stroller or lift it up. But those yeah. curb cuts were actually designed for people with wheelchairs. And so when you mm-hmm. think about that, that helps people, you know, in New York City, if I have a suitcase, it makes it easier for me to go. If I have a stroller, it makes it easier for me to push my, my kids in. And so you think about that. It's made, it's designed for one group of people that helps all people. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So, so when did you realize that you wanted to do something like this? Like what was, was there like a, a moment uh, in your kind of career where you're like, okay, this is really what I want to like really just start focusing on? Yeah. So, you know, when I met Ed Summers and I came back home and I was talking to him, he's like, you know, you got to start reaching, you just be open about your vision loss. And, and he's like, mm-hmm. you, you've got to learn as a blind person. You've got to talk about it. And I was like, all right, fine. And he's like, here in the triangle, there's lots of, of companies who have diversity and inclusion programs. You should talk to them about be open about your vision loss. So I was like, all right, perfect. I'll do that. I reached out to every triangle business with the diversity and inclusion program. Not a single one responded to me. I started thinking about, I was like, with my education, my experience, and my privilege, if I can't find a job, what are other people who are blind in the face? And so, right. as I mentioned, I was listening to a lot of podcasts, and I had listened to the podcasts about Tom's shoes, you know, the pair yeah. of shoes buy a pair, gives mm-hmm. a pair of shoes to someone in need. I like the model. I was like, well, but instead, typically wherever I go, I have a pair of sunglasses on with me or on me. And so I wanted to make sunglasses first. And I want to make Hmm. sunglasses instead of giving a pair of sunglasses to someone in need, I wanted to have them made by people who are blind. And so that's what, because I thought if I give someone a job, I give them hope, I give them life and this generational impact. And that's why Ed had introduced me to the president of LCI, Jeffrey Hodding. And so that's why I got introduced. And that's when I realized that manufacturing is great because that's what LCI does. But when we start to think about that upper mobility and having meaningful careers, uh, in the knowledge base, because in our area here in the Triangle, there's just tech companies coming here all the time and tech jobs, and they're paying a lot of money. Why can't people with disabilities take part in that as well? And that's when I realized that that sense of belonging, why can't they be part of this growth that we're seeing? Mm-hmm. And that's what really caused me to really think about my own lived experiences, what kept me out of careers. And so how can I help other people? I love that. It's funny. Uh, we had another entrepreneur on the show that referenced Tom's as their inspiration for starting their business as well. Oh, really? Like that model. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Jess Ekstrom with Headbands of Hope. And oh, yes. she modeled her company after Tom's. Like that's who inspired. Oh, really? Yeah. That kind of business, that concept of business for good. It doesn't have to be a nonprofit or a for-profit. It can be a for-profit business that does good in exactly. different communities and whatnot. So exactly. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, that's, and I, we're seeing a lot more of those and I, it's really cool to see mm-hmm. the B Corps and I mean, 
the shoes I wear, I wear all birds and they're a B Corp, right? Mm-hmm. This social good. I mean, I think there's some, some really good products out there. And actually one of my favorite things, I'm wearing a cool watch right here. And um, the watch is, it's called E1 and it's a, it's a tactile watch that's designed for people who are blind, but it's actually made for all people. That's why E1, yeah. it's everyone. And this company is like, it, it won the design of the year award from uh, 2012 in London. But this kind of company, these are some really cool things that you can, that you can have a, a social impact on it. Yeah. Yeah. So we like to ask everybody like in their particular entrepreneurship journey. So starting Able or whatnot, did you ever have like an oh shit moment where like, you're like, this is not going to get off the ground or like some sort of roadblock that felt insurmountable or just even just doubt, like periods of doubt with it. Every day, still say, you mean, every like, day, okay, every still, day. Like, it's like, you know, I was just talking to my partner, Mike Ionelli, just right before this, you know, we, I mean, you're making progress. It's like you take two steps forward, one step back. Right. And mm-hmm, you just yeah. don't know. Sometimes you just don't know how big is this step going to be back. Right. Like, right. And you know, when things seem great, you know, to get all these accolades and all this stuff. But the struggle is real, right? It's like, and it's like, we think about our team and like the, as an entrepreneur, it's like the challenges that we face and trying to keep encouraging the team, right? Keep them motivated, keep them. Cause you're, it's like, it's like being a parent almost. You're shielding yeah. your, your, your team from the challenges out there. And I think that's, that's it every day. And uh, so I do feel the ocean moments all the time. And um <laughs> And I feel it. And in my unique, my situation is unique because although I'm like an entrepreneur, right? So I'm not an entrepreneur who, where I'm like, this is my money out of my pocket because then I can say, but I'm actually using someone other, another company's money. Right. Because I'm using another company's money there. If I don't show them the money quickly, they're going to be like, you're, you're out of here. Right. Right. So my entrepreneur journey is a lot different because I may have money, right. I may have this paycheck coming in every month. Or every, you know, all the time, but it's, I just don't know when they're going to say, Hey, this is enough. We tried it. You're done. And that's, that's those shit moments I feel because that's, that's a terrible way. There's like the psychological safety. (laughs) I don't know what's going to happen. And that's what what I feel. So yes, having investors is tough. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We've I heard know. that before too. I know we, we always joked about because we had a pretty rough, like rough start to our business. And we're like, wish we had investors. But the more we talk to people with investors, like, they're like, it's so hard. Yeah. <laughs> you can bootstrap it, bootstrap it. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. because they're going to also, you're going to owe them money. And they're going to keep bootstrapping, right? So all of a sudden you're like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. You're bootstrapping, you're hustling. And, you know, I'm, I'm lucky because um, I have a, there's a, there's a great mentor. There's a person who really kind of helped me get into the space. And his name is Donald Thompson. I don't know if you all have met Donald and, and, and yeah. So, so I actually was at a tech conference and I, I had launched LCI tech, the pre abler business and LCI tech. It was really just me. And there was a lady who was, she had 40 years of work experience with the state government. And she liked to shop too much that she, after retirement, she still needed a job and she was colorblind. So she, she joined my team. And then I had a young lady who had zero years of work experience and uh, her first job was with me. So that was my first team. We were a monthly crew of wow. people mm-hmm. and, yeah. and we had to learn how to do the, this accessibility work. And, and we did. And, and I, I started to like, we started generating a little bit of revenue here and there. And I went to this tech conference and this, 
this guy speaking, Donald Thompson was talking about diversity, inclusion in tech, diversity, inclusion. And I was like in the business case. And I was like, oh, this guy's talking just like me. And he offered a meeting for coffee. I jumped at the opportunity. And so when we met, he's like, I never thought about people with disabilities in tech. And I never thought about people with disabilities in DEI. And that's when he started having people from his team come and meet me. And he became this, like, that's how we created Abler. It became a joint venture between mm-hmm. uh, his businesses and, um, and LCI. But he's been a great mentor. And he, he helps keep that, that, that hustle alive. He keeps showing, like, you know, he doesn't want to give us a lifeline. He's like, you, get, you figure it out. Because that's when you, you'll, mm-hmm. that's that innovation comes when you, when you feel that struggle. Because you're getting a paycheck every, every week, right? Or every month, you're getting that mm-hmm. paycheck. But to keep that hunger, you got to feel that pain. Yeah. So it's good and bad, right? And so I, uh, DT is a big role model in that piece. That's awesome. And I feel that so deeply, like even on like the very basic level, like with our employees, like if you always solve their problems for them, they're never going to solve it. They're never going to be able to do it. And they're always going to need me. And so there's been many a times because Courtney is like such a like, oh, I'll help. I'll help. I'll do it. I'll do it. And like, no, you need to let them fail. You need to let them figure out how to plunge a toilet. Let them do it. Let them fail at it. Yeah. You know, like, and then give them the number for the plumber and like, just doing much, much better. Yeah. They are doing, they are doing much better, but I don't blame them for it. It's not their fault. It's our fault for like holding their hand the entire time and not letting them actually like attempt to try and to do something. And I think that's so true for business in general is that, you know, the going through hard times are hard and they really suck. Everyone knows that, but I feel like it does make you become more inventive, more intuitive, and it only makes your business stronger and at, and at the end of the day. I totally agree. So what's been the most rewarding part of your journey on the other side of it? Like what, what's the pinnacle moment for you? There's this person on my team, her name is Shannon, and she, she's, she's blind and she was working in manufacturing. And manufacturing is a noble profession. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But she was underemployed there. She had tech skills, like as someone who's blind and had good computer skills, manufacturing just wasn't necessarily the right place for her mm-hmm. in my mind. And so she was actually mm-hmm. the first person I brought on. And when I first started LCI Tech, the precursor to Abler, mm-hmm. I started thinking about call centers. I was like, maybe I can put people in blind in call centers. But that's when I realized things were just not accessible. We had to take a step back. And so Shannon ended up going back into the manufacturing facility because I failed mm-hmm. at that attempt of building a call center. You know, once I built up that accessibility team, the first thing I did was I went back into that manufacturing. I was like, come out, you're coming with me. And it's like so loud in this printing press. I was like, come with me, you're, let's get you out of here. And I brought her on and uh, she learned how to do the accessibility work. And now she's a senior analyst and she's just rocking it and she's training people. Mm-hmm. So when you ask me what my biggest pinnacle, it's not the big contracts we've been getting, but it's her development, that person's mm-hmm. development, because that's upper mobility. So no matter if they shut down my, my funding tomorrow, I know that I helped her have a different quality of life. And there's other people, that first person I hired, Devon, the lady uh, that had no work experience, two years on my team, she left and she joined McDonald's accessibility team and she's crushing it, mm-hmm. right? They never had a career before. And all of a sudden they have a career, right? Not just a job, right. a career and skills that can take them and have a, you know, they don't have to rely on social security disability insurance anymore. They have yeah. career skills that they can make money and do what they want to. And that's, that's the biggest success. That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. It's like, 
speaking my language. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I always say that my biggest accomplishment is the team that works for me. Yeah. Like it is an honor to employ my employees. Like I, yeah. the best team is when I'm the weakest link. And I truly believe that like, like I'm the weakest link on my team. Sure. And I know I've built, built a great one because of that, yeah. you know? So I love, I just totally love that. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, like it's the people behind that, right? It's the people who I can use my platform to help out and people with disabilities. They're often, you know, not considered in the DI discussion. They're not often, you know, at the table. And, you know, when you really think about the, the blind community, I think it's 80% of the population don't have a job. Wow. So there's a lot of people we can make a big impact on. And if I can speak for a few of those, if I can make a few impact, like changes in people's lives, that's, that's it. Thanks everyone for gathering us today to talk about the hustle. For our episode with John, we're drinking a vodka soda with olives, John's go-to drink. We hope we get the chance to make it this week and cheers to keep screwing up. To learn more about John and his business, visit abler360.com, follow them on Instagram at abler360, or follow his personal account at John G. Samuel. You can also find and connect with John on LinkedIn. To learn more about our hustles, visit cndevents.com, anthemhouse.com, thebradfordnc.com, and hustleandgather.com, or follow us on Instagram at cndevents, at anthem.house, at thebradfordnc, and at hustleandgather. And if you like this show, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. This podcast is a production of Earfluence. I'm Dana. And I'm Courtney. And we'll talk to you next time on Hustle and Gather.